Hello and welcome to Darling Why. My name's Kate and this week me and Louie are talking about the most fun, most goth offering I've brought to the podcast yet, question mark. We're talking about the 2017 album Mother Blood by Finnish post-punk band Grave Pleasures. If you like our little show, please do give us a like and a follow and maybe even a review if you're feeling festive. And with that, let's get to it. experience of Finland, Louis. It's a country. Very good. In Scandinavia. Is that, that a lie? It's not a lie. <laughs> I thought you could tell me it wasn't Scandinavia. It is Scandinavia, yes. Yeah, Helsinki's there. It's a very well-known place. Yes, very impressive. Uh, there was an F1 driver who I used to watch, uh, Mika Hakkinen, from Finland. I don't know anything about F1 driving, so I will take your word for that. Well, today, <laughs> the topic of our, of, of our podcast today is based in Finland. Um, talking about Grave Pleasures, which is a Finnish post-punk band based out of Helsinki. I think you might have introduced me to the band Grave Pleasures. Probably. Or possibly I heard it on a podcast we both listened to and you said, but but this is your thing. You, you, you'd be into this. Yeah. As a, as a little push because yeah. I can be quite slow to actually listen to the things I like. Yeah. For example, did a very long podcast over the last year about the artist Lingua Ignota released a new album this year. Have I sat down and listened to it yet? No, because I'm terrible and also I'm not that emotionally resilient. No. <laughs> so, but um. I sometimes need a little push is what I need. And I'm very glad that you gave me this little push in the year of our Lord 2017 to listen to the second album from the band Grave Pleasures, Mother Blood, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Just to give a bit of background, if you haven't heard of the band Grave Pleasures, they're a, like I say, a Finnish post-punk band from Helsinki. They formed in 2015 from the ashes of their previous band, Beast Milk. Both bands contain members Matt McNerney and Valtteri Arino. And briefly, Beast Milk formed in 2010, a name uh, inspired by Alistair Crowley, who I will mention again later on in this podcast. Yep. And they released an EP and later a full length called Climax in 2013, produced by very excellent musician man Kurt Ballou. Anytime I've heard people talk about it, they're in love. It's like not a lot of people I know IRL have heard of Beast Milk, but the people I do know who've heard of Beast Milk are like, that's the greatest album that's ever been written. It is amazing. Like it is, like it is actually. Yes, no, it's a very good album. It's a very good album. It's just very. um, I suppose all bands have this kind of thing where people are like, this is the one, this is the album. Yeah. But like people are very passionate yeah. about this album I think and I do think for better or worse all Grave Pleasures records are compared to yes. Climax by Beast well, yes. Milk. Unfortunately that's always going to happen. Yeah they split after this album and like I say Grave Pleasures was formed and they released their first album Dream Crash in 2015 and then their second release Mother Blood was released in 2017. So that's a little bit of background to the band. There's lots of very interesting things about them in terms of like how Beast Milk became Grave Pleasures, about their whole kind of vibe uh, online, if you care to look that up. But I'll be touching on some of it as we talk about Mother Blood, but like the actual story of the band and people in it who were in like lots of other bands also. Mm -hmm. Um, Very respectable bands that don't sound anything like Grave Pleasures. Mm -hmm. Um, Very interesting. Check that out. I'm not going to talk about it because I have lots of other things I'm going to gonna cover today. To take a step back and not just give you a Wikipedia page of 
great pleasures. I need to explain my whole vibe in 2016 and 2017 <laughs> because it, it, it speaks to why I love this album and maybe will be slightly different. Like I say, there's lots of interviews and reviews by people much better versed than me that you can read if you're just into the facts of the band. But anyway, 2016, 2017 was a time in my life when I was like voraciously consuming new music in a way that I had not done since maybe like the peak of kind of post-hardcore emo scene 2007 thereabouts you know I was really into it as a teenager and then my taste sort of stagnated for five years Mm -hmm. as I think is the case with like lots of people not everyone but like lots of people and yeah I mean like we, we can I can speculate on the reasoning I know what the reasoning for this is is for many years, I didn't have anyone who liked the same music as me, and therefore I couldn't like talk to people about it and get recommendations for new music. So I was just like, I'll listen to My Chemical Romance again. And then I met you, Louis. Yes. <laughs> you were me, like, Louis. You were yes. like, here's a cool band you might like. Here's a podcast that ha- recommends even further cool bands you might like. And then I, I learned um, what happened after that kind of post-hardcore emo scene went out of style. I learned the in-betweens and it, and it was great. And we went to gigs and I have new musical tastes and it, it's all awesome. Mm-hmm. But around the time this album came out, so that kind of 18 month period is that kind of, oh, I must consume all the music all the time kind of period for me. So that's the first aspect to consider. And then the second thing about me at the time was, I suppose, trying to fill that, that kind of hole in my heart where gothy kind of emo bands once lived, you know? My Chemical Romance were split up at this point and like that kind of thing was kind of gone and the ones that stayed around had changed too much for me to really care all that much about them anymore and yeah. I was different, you know? <laughs> I was no longer 15, much as like it pains me to admit, you know, <laughs> that uh, I've changed as a person. But anyway, one of the bands you couldn't escape at the time was Creeper, who I like. I like Creeper. For context, we should mention in a British context if you like alternative music. True. Because you might be thinking, like, you could be listening to this going, who the fuck a creeper? But if you're from America, I, could, I kind of understand that. But mm. in this country, all of the buzz was that. Yeah. That was the buzz. If you were going to punk or rock or metal gigs or any way sort of linked in with that scene. Sorry, a lot of creeper shirts. <laughs> I saw so many creeper shirts. Yeah. When I was listening to podcasts or reading reviews, you, you heard about creeper quite a lot. And this was like right before they released their first full length album. It was kind of when they were still EP phases was particularly... There was a lot of hype that mm-hmm. kind of built up to that first album. And that first album came out and I just didn't love them as much as I expected to. I really liked their second album a lot more personally. And I kind of get it a lot more now. But at the time, I was everyone was like, if you like My Chemical Romance, you love Creeper. And I was like, but why don't I? I think they're fine. And like I say, they grew on me later. And maybe, maybe it's because I wasn't 15 anymore. Or maybe it was something about like the particular guitar tone or writing style there was something and, and it just didn't like as I fill that goth hole in my heart like I wanted it to you know and then this album got released and it it, it sounds nothing like that emo post hardcore scene literally nothing about it but there was something about this record that I was like oh that's what I've been looking for and then I was complete again <laughs> because this album is not that kind of like emo 2017 not vibe not at all not but at it all. is very goth you yeah. know it's very 80s goth it's, it's very, very 80s post-punk goth this is too cool to be like that this is 
this is a grown-up record. Yeah. This is <laughs> this is an album for a 25-year-old, yeah. which is what age I was at the time. Um, compared to, I don't know how I would have felt about it when I was that age. I think I might have liked it because I was, I suppose this speaks to us, I was listening to a lot of kind of gothy post-punk when I was that age as well. But I, I wonder, would it have spoken to me at the same level that that more emo-y, pop-punky kind of stuff was at the time? So I think it kind of came came along at the right time. And I think especially there was just something about the guitar tone that I really l- loved that I thought like there's a bit more bite to it. Yeah. It's very, it does feel very 80s at points, like the yeah. way it's, there's a claustrophobia to some of the production that yeah. I really like. It does have more of a bite, more of a squeal yeah. than like pop punk emo-y type of stuff, yeah. I would say, largely. And so just to also give a little bit more background of, I've said the word, the phrase post-punk like eight times now, Yeah. just so that we're all on the same page about what I'm talking about, because I started researching post-punk and uh, let me tell you, people have very different opinions about yes, when it do. started, when it ended, who's yes, included in it. Do. So please don't come for me if, if, if my definition disagrees. And I'm going to take such a broad spectrum approach to this for, for the context of what I'm going to say. But anyway, Post-punk was, was a music scene that emerged from the 1970s. Punk scene, which tried to retain that kind of like energy and DIY sensibility of punk, but being far more, I suppose, avant-garde and exploratory when it came to like how it's produced, what genres are we pulling from, what sort of um, philosophy and art and politics are we drawing from. And you do get like a much more sort of diverse set of bands and like... I think part of the reason why the definition of, I mean, what are genres, honestly? But part of, I think, why the struggle to define is like, there's all these even other genres that kind of directly come out of it. So like that kind of gothic rock, synth pop, new wave, new pop, all that kind of stuff. There isn't like necessarily a clear line that was like, and in 1984, a new wave emerged and fuck post-punk forever. Like they all, there is a bleeding in. So a lot of those bands can be categorized. If you look them up, people will define the same band as new wave or post-punk or synth pop or whatever it is. So some of the bands that you could say come from that time are things like Susie and the Banshees, Public Image Limited, The Cure and Wire. And... I adore this whole spectrum of music, so kind of from post-punk and things from new wave, synth-pop, gothic rock, because like growing up I had kind of three things going on in my ears. I had, like I say, a lot of emo music, I had a lot of Queen and Bowie, and I had a lot of this kind of spectrum of like alt-80s, I'll call it, into like just very poppy 80s. So I heard a lot of Joy Division, I heard a lot of The Cure, Gary Newman, uh, Spandau Ballet and kind of lots of that new pop and new romantic stuff that came around like Culture Club and Human League so that was my teen years mm-hmm. and then as I kind of went into my 20s I've gone back and listened to more of like Talking Heads, Devo, Killing Joke, Susie and the Banshees those kind of bands yeah. and I'm just in love with that sort of sound and there is like this undeniable post-punk flavor to mother blood i wouldn't say it's like a pure post-punk album because there's delicious guitar tone that i think is not that has a metal edge to it yeah a more metallic edge to it it's not quite metal but there's a heaviness to it that is missing from like if you go to like what was happening in 1980 is not there. So I don't think it's fair to say they're purely post-punk, but that influence is undeniable. Particularly, I would say, kind of in the 
base. Yeah. The base is mm, delicioso. Love it. <laughs> Don Lawson from Metal Hammer described their sound as, quote, turbocharged melt into Joy Division. And he said, like, to some degree. He wasn't yeah. he wasn't saying, like, completely. And I, I also kind of agree. I hear the most similarities with something like a Joy Division. Yeah. Because I've seen other people compare them to things like Echo and the Bunnymen, which I think is a bit... Yeah, I've never quite got I've not gotten that. that quite much. I hear some maybe, like, there's bits of things like Bauhaus, like that more kind yes. of gothy side yes. of things. Again, I think it's definitely there. I think it would be oversimplistic to say they're a post-punk band yeah. in 2017. And that's yeah. that's that. So that's kind of, again, some of the background of what I'll be referring to. But again, that's part of why I'm such a sucker for that sound. You know? It's like that that and like hardcore. I, I will listen to almost any hardcore band. Good or bad. Like mediocre or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's just the absolute shit. I love that. And similarly here, I'm so easily pleased by this sort of very... You know, you hear it on like a lot of Cure records, that kind of very claustrophobic, like 80s bass high up in the mix. Are you referring sort of to post-punky early thing. Cure records in particular? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah that's true. I, I, I must digress. I mean the earlier stuff. I, I was don't gonna say. I don't mean the later stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get a vibe from Wish or Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Mark. No, but like, and, and I think it kind of like, it is one of those things with all of these bands, like as production techniques change yeah. also, those things change yeah. too. And the Cure also got a lot more money that's true (laughs) that's the same for all bands isn't it like you hear the production change yes you hear it change with success i mean not all bands (laughs) all bands who achieve no no i mean all bands with a modicum of success who get money behind them yeah there will be because there's more options for production isn't there yeah to actually get to the album all right i'm going to talk about this slightly different than how i've talked about previous albums (gasps) in the how dare you deviate from how, your formula? How dare how you deviate from your own personal dare formula? Dare you interrupt my sentence with a bit? <laughs> what, I, <laughs> what I'm getting to is I'm not going to go through each song. And That's fine. part of the reason I'm not is because it will just be me saying over and over again, oh, it's so catchy and it just makes me want to move. And mm, isn't that sick riff? And yeah. it's because here's the thing about it. All of the songs are insanely catchy all of the songs are like compulsively listenable to they're compulsively danceable to even if i'm just listening to it on the couch i gotta move a little bit like i gotta move with that rhythm it's it's you can't help it Mm -hmm. it's so really um and it's not a long record to get the true effect just even if you don't want to think about like the, the lyrical themes or the overall concept it's just so catchy mm-hmm. and and good mm-hmm. um and like i say i love that guitar tone it just does something for me that i just think <laughs> is perfect and then combining it with that kind of post-punk bass is mwah, chef's kiss and also the other reason i don't want to talk about each individual thing is because like the lyrical themes there are threads that run through yes there is a consistent i wouldn't call it a concept album but there is a consistent set of themes about this album and to keep repeating myself i think we get very dull and very yeah. boring very quickly so i want to talk about some of the those themes and symbolisms first and then i'll shout out some like again just listen to the whole album but shout out some of the high points i think of this record so starting with the cover 
because I think it speaks to the overall piece of work that we're mm-hmm. going for here. So the cover is a rendition of the Hindu goddess Kali. With the, with the context that I've gotten most of my information about this from Wikipedia, not from an in-depth knowledge of Hinduism, and I apologise <laughs> if I get things wrong. The Hindu goddess Kali is considered to be like the master of death, time and change, and or the mother of all living beings. She destroys evil to protect the innocent. She's the divine protector or the one who bestows liberation. Yeah. That feeds into the broad themes of this record as well. So the cover is a version of a common portrayal of Kali in which she's standing on Lord Shiva with her right foot forward, wearing a garland of skulls and holding a variety of items in her hand, which represent in the traditional things, different aspects of her. So in the traditional images for what, like she's holding a severed head in one hand, like low down, and that's supposed to represent like ego, which she hates, for example. In the album cover, what she's holding are very different things. Yes. And I was looking for like seeing is there like an analysis, like a, a breakdown or an interview with the artist or something. And there isn't. But I think like listening to the record and then looking at the images, you can infer what some of these might be alluding to, some yeah. of the things in her hands. Speaking to Nick uh, Ruskell at Kerrang, Matt McNerney said quote, we're having all these discussions about women and equality now. And I thought, well, yeah, we've upset the balance and we should venerate Kali more in the Western world. Kali is the ultimate goddess of life and death. And it's through her you get your understanding of these two aspects, the balance, unquote. So while that is maybe like a less direct way into the kind of overall symbolism of the album, I do think that idea of like balance and that kind of dichotomy of mother and I suppose, destroyer of evil. Yeah. That very much for me comes through the whole thing. Yeah. So the record itself, I have uh, two summaries that I think are useful uh, <laughs> that I, I did not write conveniently. From what what I think was a press release, because it was the same phrasing in multiple articles, yeah. um, Matt McNerney said, quote, like the great sacrament of ancient times that was the blood sacrifice of the mother, we too have laid down our most holy flesh at your feet. This record, which is a bold redefinition of death rock and our totemic challenge to our pretenders, shall be our most grand and sordid testament. If you've never danced with the skeletons, then this album is your gateway drug to all the nihilistic pleasures of the grave. Apocalyptic post-punk never sounded so desperately bleak and wild, and yet never grinned so maniacally and writhed so fervently with the tongues that whipped the tombs. The Kali figure of our cover is the eternal icon of nuclear fear. She presides over the religion of an apocalyptic future. A desolate future we proudly celebrate with caustic music of the most furious punk. Come and buy, then wash your mind in our mother blood. We're dancing in the lion's mouth. The elevator only goes down. Unquote. I, I, I just love the drama of that. And <laughs> honestly, that is the album. That's the album. I worry that the people who hear that and just go, that sounds like complete twaddle. No, thank you. Oh, I love it. See, okay. That's the thing, though. To those people, I would say, it doesn't just matter. The- just listen to it. Doesn't even matter. Ignore all the themes then. Yeah. Fine. It's it's still it still is a banging I album. make no I make no I'm not making a joke when I say that the entire every lyric from this album could just be him reciting instructions to do your clothes washing and it would still be incredible. Oh yeah. Every lyric on this album could be here's how I pay my taxes under Finnish law and it would still be incredible. Yes. Because the melodies are that strong. The melodies like, are that strong. I'm, the, you know. Like the everything about it works on mm-hmm. its own. 
mm-hmm. separate from everything else. Um, like I think if you just break down like the lyrical themes, it works. It's yeah. interesting. It draws you in. And I, again, I, I, I read the whole like paragraph from the press release because I just think, A, it sums up the album so much. And B, I just, I really like it. Like you say, it's the kind of the drama of it all. Yeah. The weight of it, you know? <laughs> In a shorter, more concise summary, um, <laughs> writing for Ghost Cult magazine, Steve Tovey nicely sums up the overall lyric, lyrical themes of the record with, quote, The band's inherent ability to transport you back to the 80s is impressive, as lyrically, McNerney cleverly references the Cold War, atom bombs, genocide and the threat of nuclear acts. References that not only reflect the times of his musical idols, they also draw attention to the current political climate in and amongst the indie gothic romps, unquote. <laughs> so I like, th- I do like that. Because like I say, the sound is reminiscent, like it draws inspiration from the 80s and also thematically. Like I do feel the Cold War is a big theme of this record, which is a, the most 80s thing mm-hmm. there ever which was, you know? So I like that there's a marrying there of that decade yep. and the things that came up there. And McNerney also said uh, in, in the Kerrang interview uh, I referenced, talking about like the variety of dangers that were just around in the world growing up in the 80s. He said, quote, and you live with that always, the thrill of death. It's interesting that as a species, we don't really discuss it. We do the same thing that we do with sex. It's all behind closed doors. So the idea with Grave Pleasures is to open this discussion up and say, it is sexy, it is enjoyable, and it's a thrill. It's there, it's within us. If we really recognised how destructive we are as a species and celebrated it as part of ourselves, then maybe we wouldn't be doing it, unquote. And for me, that intertwining of like death and danger on one side and sex is so evident throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the song, you get like these different emphases on, like I say, the Cold War mm-hmm. conspiracy. I think you get like satanic panic and violence yeah. at certain points. And as like a macabre wannabe goth kid, and adult um, it's it's a really intoxicating record in that sense because you yeah. pick up these lines and you're like ooh I know what that is <laughs> yeah. um, and it's you know I like that a lot it's like watching Inside Job and being like I've heard of that conspiracy <laughs> that's for me you know like <laughs> there's, there's that side of this as yeah. well that I'm like oh look at that little nod for yeah. like the, all the goth kids out there you yeah. know and, and like like I say, it's it's so consistent, all those things throughout the record. To me, it doesn't bear much point breaking every single re- song down because I'll always keep coming back to those things. Yeah. I kind of hit the nail with my various quotes. <laughs> I'd say you'd hit the nail purely because you think about this, re- like when I heard this record, I just went, oh, sweet. It's, as, it's in the same class as the Beast Milk record, which was, I'm like, great, hooray. I knew of all the sort of, you know, apocalyptic stuff and all that was all there it's very obvious mm. it's it's not it, 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 they're not burying it under a load of metaphors uh. for something else you know they have songs like atomic christ what do you think that's about like <laughs> i just never i never just spent hours analyzing it because hmm. like i looked at the cover like once and thought yeah that's cool music you know. i mean that's the thing like, that's cool for, let's dance. for quite a quite a long time i i was just sort of like that is the first thing that grabs you about this record is the music and like i say you never need to go deeper than that it slaps just on its surface yeah a lot of this detail i got preparing for this yeah and it if anything it kind of has deepened my appreciation for I, I suppose the artistic forethought yeah. of it all which you as you well know i enjoy in a record i yeah. like it being a very like nice complete piece as opposed to like 
a collection of songs, which is fine if you they like, all slap, but like I like a, a piece. You like a total package. I do like a total package. The album starts with a song called Infatuation Overkill, and it really sets the scene for the tone of the album overall. Like that riff comes in, and you've got to move. You try, you listen to that song, and you try not to move. Yeah, you I'm just, moving now. You just try, and you're just hearing it in your head, mate. Like that's not even the full experience. Um, and I love the production on this, and like I say, throughout the whole record. I love the delicious bass on this. And there's this like dirty, twisty riff yeah. on the bridge that is just like the bridges on this album yeah. alone. The fact that you get like this, there's this shiftiness of like the, the charge of it all. Yeah. You know, like some some parts uh, like to, to go back to that Karanko are really like turbocharged. Yeah. Some really go in that kind of sneak in a different direction. And yeah. so it keeps it interesting, even though you again have a quite consistent sound yeah. throughout, but it doesn't, it doesn't bore, it doesn't wear. Yeah. When I was listening back to this, like I was preparing for this, when this song came on, one of my notes to myself was, honestly, can't tell if this song is about sex or sacrifice. And and then did later research. And I think this is fair when we consider how um, McNerney described the song to Decibel magazine. He said, Infatuation Overkill is a picture of the current zeitgeist in freefall. Our voyeurism, our all-consuming ego, our absolute fixation with our own image and our descent into a commonly accepted form of mass schizophrenia. Obsession and omnipresent violent lust have become the norm as mania begins to seep into our intrinsic makeup. We attempt to portray the feeling of being pulled apart as the volcano erupts on our species and the dawn of man begins to draw to a close. Um, so, like, you're starting out apocalypse, you yeah. know? You're starting out apocalypse. You are bringing in that, like like he says, that violent lust. Yeah. With, like, say, overkill. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just, tr- like, intoxicating. Mm-hmm. Later in the album, you also have the song Be My Hiroshima, yeah. which is, I, I don't want to say it's definitely the catchiest song on the record, <laughs> but it's certainly up there. I think it's definitely top three catchiest uh, songs on the record. Like, it's the one, if, do you know when just music randomly comes into your head and you haven't listened to the album, like, you know, nine months or whatever, this is the song. Yeah. This is the riff, that, the, the melody that comes in because it's, it's so memorable. Like, I think I heard it once and I could probably sing it back to you. And I like that there are, like, there, there in this song particularly, there are, like, all these different vocal timbres compared to some of the other songs. Yeah. Like, there is more variation to kind of lean into that. And thematically, I do think this song really pushes on that kind of idea of balance and, like, that dichotomy yeah. of death and sacrifice and abyss and nuclear destruction on one mm. side like creation the milk of universes the womb of universes on the other side and it's all couched in this sort of like alistair crowley and sex magic package you know it's 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 a real like on its surface it's just (laughs) on its surface i regret saying that now on its surface i um i think it is just a really catchy song yeah but it is an interesting song it's an interesting song to to tear apart as well a bit I also need to do a quick shout out to the song Joy Through Death mm-hmm. because it gives us the line death is the meaning of life which yeah. I would say possibly like the thesis of this album like it is um, and it, it's exploring this idea of like death as a lover or place of comfort Yeah. Um, and I do think like it informs that the sort of uh, the rhetoric yeah. of the album is kind of like life is worth living because we know we're going to die someday Yeah. and that again that topic has been explored by like artists and poets and whoever for eons yeah but it's still a fruitful well to draw from yeah. i think i don't think it's it's been done to death excuse the bad pun i don't know yeah also wanted to shout out mind intruder 
which I think really is that quintessential sort of like that claustrophobic production I talked yeah. about is really just there in Mind Intruder and it like really and then it just opens up as the song goes on yeah. which I enjoy I love that little there's this little squeal of guitars at the line your mind is mine Mind Intruder yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and those little squeals like that's that's the thing that I think I'm like, yeah, there's that bite, there's that edge, there's yeah. those guitar tones that are kind of missing in some other music that I really want yes. to be there. And yeah. I, I, I do just like that little bit of, mm. and like throughout it, there's this doubling up of the imagery in this song of like the personal and the political creation and destruction, religious imagery and magical practice and the light of hope and joy against like the light of the atom bomb. Yeah. And that again, especially in the second half of this record, I will say, like it's very atomic. Mm-hmm. I would say that there's like a run of four songs about the dropping of the atom bomb. Yeah. Which is interesting. I don't recall any other records using that level of like nuclear weaponry as, as a theme, but then... There are quite a few, well, in this sort of music or in music in general. In this sort of music. Okay, yeah, because in music in general, I was going to say thrash metal, so many bands talk about nuclear I don't really war. listen to thrash though, so I... Trust me, a lot of them. I believe talk, you. Yeah, I believe you. Literally a bank of nuclear assault. Nice. <laughs> um, my knowledge of thrash is the big four, and even then, it's kind of a a working knowledge and not a deep one. You know, <laughs> I know it because everyone knows Metallica. I know it because like Slayer do slap. I like Slayer a lot. Just um, you wait until we get further in this podcast. I have no problem with thrash. I just don't <laughs> seek it out. You know. <laughs> It's just not my my vibe. Mm, um, I'll cancel on it. <laughs> yeah. And just to just to put a button on uh, Mind Intruder, speaking to NPR, who shouted out Mind Intruder as like one of their songs of the week, because yeah. that's where I found this interview. McNerney said of the lyrics, it's one of my archetypes that I'm obsessed with, identity, conspiracy, and relationship. It's that ability to hold, write something that you can hold both that very uh, like one-to-one relationship yeah. and this sort of like more state slash deep state yeah. kind of conspiracy type thing is interesting that both yeah. of those could be held in hand at once. Yeah. The last the last song I wanted to, to just shout out was the, the closer. And like what a closer we get with Haunted Afterlife. Yeah. What an absolute earworm of a, of a closer. Um, and it, there's this just this, this kind of like snaky, slinky, 80s melodic darkness to it yeah. that I really like. And it's such a vibe. It's, uh, it's such a vibe of like, it's all gone. What was it all for? What was there to save us? It wasn't religion. It wasn't no. media or TV. It wasn't each other. It wasn't hope. <laughs> but also there is no torment and there's no hell, yeah. which kind of feeds into this like idea overall of like death is the meaning of life. Yeah. It is a button on the record. Like it is, it feels a satisfying ending yeah. to what we, even though it's not a story, but like yeah. it feels a satisfying ending yeah. to it. Um, I agree. And yeah, I just think the record overall is just well worth your time. If you've listened to this podcast, you could have spent that time listening to this record, <laughs> but also maybe do both. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like it's not long. It's not, difficult you could do it as a fun extracurricular activity i mean like when we do the test on our listeners yeah. i will give them extra credit specifically for listening to this album <laughs> when your grades come out guys <laughs> this has both been a, a really fun prep and also quite difficult because how many ways can you say it's so good it's so catchy i just want to dance yeah um because i could have made this podcast four minutes and just said that yeah <laughs> maybe we should do that one episode just like look this is really catchy uh, there you go. Just listen to it, man. You can listen to it on your cigarette break. Hooray. I'm going to pick one of those like hardcore EPs that is like 12 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> it's six songs. That's but it's too 12 long. Minutes. 12 minutes. <laughs> too long. Cut five songs. 
<laughs> it's 12 songs but it's five minutes long perfect that's my whole vibe yeah the shorter the record the better <laughs> but uh that's that's what i gotta say about mother blood and grave pleasures oh yeah like if you hadn't done this i would have but i it probably would have been a very different show yeah i know it's interesting i do think we probably would have had different takes and i wonder there's a part of me that thinks wonders would you have done climax rather than mother blood um possibly but not because I think one of them's quite better or worse than the other. I just think that I I almost think just 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 to spite you, <laughs> just just to, just to be I, contrary. I don't know. You reason. say it like I think that I think climax is a great record. I've just spent more time with this one. I can just yeah. speak to this one a lot yeah. more. But yeah, I I just ah oh, listen to this. It's yeah. so good. You really should. Is it festive? No. Oh, I think it's very festive because it, well, think about it. It's it very makes you want to get up and dance. Therefore, it's festive. I mean, that's more festive than fucking. Thematically, it's not festive. That's more festive than a lot of what's going on. <laughs> Thematically, it's about death, Louis. <laughs> so? But yeah, People watch very... Die Hard at Christmas. What's that about? That's true. Death. If Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Um, but yes, this is a lot of fun. Um, it's also about making sure you should really wear shoes. Oh, in Die Hard? Yeah. Sorry, I thought you meant this record for a second. No. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, keep your shoes on, guys. Because if you've got shoes on, it makes it easier to dance to this record. Like we learned, oh, like we learned on the on the Christmas episode, of Solar Opposites. Any movie is a Christmas movie if it happens at Christmas. So you know, don't get into arguments with people about them. Yeah, they're all Christmas movies if we want them to be. Yeah, and uh, and with that, Louis, what are you going to do for your next episode, which is will be even closer, <clears throat> uh, deeper into the festive season? Well, it's not going to be festive. No. <laughs> well, I say that. We are heading back into the wonderful world of video games and we're heading technically back to... Well, we're going back to 2019 again, funnily enough. I try and avoid doing things that are in the same year because I think there's things haven't had enough time to sort of affect. But sometimes I might end up making an exception. And this is one of those times. I'm going to be talking about the originally released in 2019 adventure game, Disco Elysium. Nice. I've watched... You play it over your shoulder, and I'm very excited to hear even just maybe some wild dialogue quotes. There'll be some of those. But what you have to say about it, because it looks very interesting. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. No, I'm excited like, to hear I'm, about it. I'm not going to say anything else until that episode, because otherwise, what's the point of an episode if I'm just going to spit it now? Well, anyway. thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time for some video game fun. Bye. Yes. Goodbye. You were listening to the Darling Why podcast presented by Louis Tangarides and Kate Stewart. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to give us a follow at Darling Why Podcast on Instagram. Feel free to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast feed you're listening to. This podcast is produced, edited and put together entirely by Louis Tangarides and Kate Stewart. Thanks for listening. See you next time.